I don't defend the industry and I was talking with somebody else who got into Bitcoin quite earlier than I did actually. We were debating whether 90% or 99% of the industry even still needs to burn to the ground. Uh, well, no, better, faster, cheaper and more transparent payments, more trackable payments. This solves a lot of problems for a lot of people. Uh, the people, the only people who don't want it are the banks that benefit from slow payments. It, the fundamental challenge, and this is, this is your, your reader base, for the fintechs, fintechs built Ferrari front ends. They're still settling transactions on horse and buggy back ends. Hi, my name is Jason Rasnick, the CEO of Benzinga, and welcome to the Raz Report. As always, before we kick things off, I want to quickly tell you about what Benzinga is. Before I started Benzinga in 2010, there were very few places to get real-time information on financial markets. I thought it was unfair that Wall Street had access to this information before the average Joe investor. So I created Benzinga to level the playing field for you, the retail investor. Benzinga is for the people and by the people. Now, let's dive into the show. All right, welcome to this week's edition of the Raz Report, our FinTech Power Hour. We got a power player with us right now, Caitlin Long, CEO of Custodia Bank. Welcome, Caitlin. Thank you. It's my honor to be here. So you've been you've been working in the banking space for years. I mean, Credit Suisse, Morgan Stanley, Salomon Brothers. I got to go to Salomon. What'd you do at Salomon? That's where I started my career, right out of law school. Uh, started out of, in, out of Harvard Law School, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. Started in financial institutions, investment banking, and Wait, you went, old went, Seven you went World from Trade Center. You went from Harvard Law to Salomon. Were you ever practicing law? No, I, I passed the bar, but never practiced law. Why not? And better with numbers than words. Okay. All right. And see so what to Salomon. That was like the heyday. Like I read Gosh. the book, Liars Poker, the whole thing. Yeah. John Goodfriend, you know, so how was that back in the day? Well, I was there during the Derek Mon era. Uh, okay. And uh, when Warren Buffett did the baby Berkshires. And, uh, and then uh, it was in the post-Salomon Brothers bond trading scandal. Uh, so I came in at the, at the bottom of the bond market, actually. It was a really interesting time to cut your teeth in financial markets because it's the last time we've had a, a, a rising interest rate environment and and balance sheet problems and it, it it in the banks and it touched off an incredible wave of consolidation in the banks and that's what I worked on early in my career yeah wow okay so you have a lot of years so will you give before we go into the interview we give a brief overview of Custodia and what like what you guys do yes we are a depository institution state chartered. And uh, offering U.S. dollar depository services, including uh, payment services and government money market services. And we are about to, knock on wood, launch Bitcoin custody. The purpose of starting Custodia is to bridge the gap between traditional finance and digital assets, specifically Bitcoin. So you're a digital asset company. Uh, well, we're we're both. We're a bank first and foremost. It takes a long time to start a bank. I think your yes. audience knows how hard that is. It's much easier to start a fintech than it is to start a bank. Absolutely. And uh, having gone through it, boy, um, there's a lot that is really helpful in terms of internal controls and policies and procedures that you have to follow. Everything's very documented. There's no wild west. Uh, move fast and break things. And it's in fact quite the opposite. Uh, and I uh, definitely have garnered some views on how much of this is really necessary in order to run a solvent and liquid financial institution. Some of it is, some of it is, is overkill. So like how many years does it take you to start a bank? Like 
I don't know, like just you don't just get up one morning and start a bank. Right. Well, it's interesting because the chartering process in Wyoming was 10 months. And then the process of getting launched, of course, we've been delayed multiple times because of where we are with the Fed um, and, and uh, because of everything that happened in digital assets. Uh, but both, uh, both us and Kraken Bank, which is the bank subsidiary of Kraken Financial, of, uh, the retail crypto exchange in the United States, uh, both of us have taken more than three years from start to finish. And in, in both cases, we built our own custody platform. We're not relying on third-party vendors for that critical wow. function, and that takes a lot of time. And, and to do it right and do it with care uh, takes a lot of testing and testing and testing and third-party validation and then more testing to get it right. Why didn't you use a vendor versus building it yourself? Like Ah, third-party vendors are security holes. And in digital asset custody, it's all about security and compliance. Our motto is security and compliance first, both of them equally, because if you think about the way that Custodia is set up, we are not a lending bank. We're there for payments and transactions. And so therefore, what could take down a bank that doesn't lend? Most banks, when they fail, fail due to asset quality issues or most recently asset liability mismatches. Custodia doesn't have either one of those because we're not lending. Our asset side of the balance sheet is very simple. Our investments are 100% in cash, T-bills, high quality liquid assets, level one high quality liquid assets for those of you in the banking world. And, uh, and so what could cause a bank like that to fail? It's, it's a security breach or a uh, compliance failure like like an OFAC issue, for example. Those are the that's why our motto is security and compliance first. So you be when you're when you're building something like that, you don't take shortcuts. And one thing that we've seen, there's a big difference, and this is I think going to resonate with your listeners as well. Big difference between the West Coast model and the East Coast model. The West Coast model is very much a VC funded, just get up and running as fast as you can, try to generate cash flow quickly. The East Coast model is very focused on returns on capital, reducing risk, uh, and, and frankly, um, living in the regulated world, a bank regulated world within finance. Those are two very different things. And we have, we have definitely chosen the East Coast model. You move slowly and you conserve cash. We're running a lean startup. Uh, I'm the lowest paid company in my, no, lowest paid person in my company. I'm proud of that uh, because I'm working for equity. And, uh, and, and what we've tried to do is, is rein in expenses and spend money only where we have to in order to get up and, and running in a secure manner rather than necessarily a fast manner. Yeah. And like Caitlin, you left a traditional bank to start this firm and join, you know, and create custodia. What, what gave you the courage to do that? <laughs> well, I, I left Morgan Stanley in 2016 and did have an interim stop at an enterprise blockchain company. Uh, I, I could see, I, I, I came across Bitcoin in 2012 and had to keep my head down. Um, started buying it in 2013, uh, started to get pretty active in, in Bitcoin meetups, but still keeping my head down by 2014. And uh, then by 2015, I popped my head up at Morgan Stanley in, in an internal chat room and the chief technology officer called me because I was a managing director. I was one of the only ones who had the proverbial gray hair among the 
folks of, of Morgan Stanley globally who were talking about Bitcoin back then, it was, it definitely tends to skew more junior in careers uh, than more senior in careers. And I must've stuck out like a sore thumb. And so when I, when I dug into it with him, it, it was great working with him because he was a real skeptic and he pulled me into a working group because so many people back then were pushing Morgan Stanley to fund their startups and they needed somebody who could just help them navigate. And I, and I joined a small group of five people who started to vet those early startups. And it became pretty clear pretty quickly that this technology was going to be useful to cutting through all the layers of intermediaries in the financial services industry and okay. basically cutting the, the speed of settlement between the transaction time and the settlement time if you're transacting in a digital asset that's natively digital from inception, the transaction is the settlement. And boy, does that yeah. simplify operations. Uh, and so uh, I thought that for a while there would be a, a, a detour, sort of an intranet before internet, which is how most of corporate America did it. They, they didn't want to tear down the walls around the gardens at first, but they built the gardens in the intranet. And then eventually they got comfortable. Well, we can tear these down and open up our back ends and start to interact with other platforms. And obviously commerce flourished. Uh, I thought yep. that that would happen in the financial sector. It didn't. And the reason it didn't, there are a few reasons, but one of which is learning a big hard lesson that the tech stacks of the large incumbents are quite rigid. And this is rip and replace te type technology. It's not... Uh, it's not incremental technology bolt-on. It's, it's so fundamentally different that it just didn't fit well with the architectures of traditional finance, which is why ultimately it's the fintechs, the startups that, that operate this technology that I think will win. Got it. And so, I mean, it's, it's a very interesting time we are in right now because what happened the last two years in crypto from the... <sighs> FTX's, Voyagers, Binance's, Binance Inc. Bankrupt, um, block, I mean, just BlockFi. Um, I was, I had USDC with Voyager and I mm. thought USDC was one-to-one -one, and that's what they kept saying is one-to-one, -one, but I never heard that the individual brokerage can leverage it up. And I'm, listen, I was friends with the CEO of Voyager and I interviewed the mm. CEO of uh, um, Circle and I kept saying, how could they pay 9% interest when I'm getting one per, or half percent at my bank? And he said, the CEO Circle said, it's because, well, we're disrupting the bank. We're basically, you know, like banks lend for mortgages, credit cards, we're disrupting it. And it turned out, well, at least, the, I mean, maybe that's how they were doing it, but it turned out basically the brokerage was lending out and lending out and lending out. It's fractional and, reserve banking on USDC. Yeah. Yeah, and and so then that were the risk, this inherent risk that people didn't know about. And so what happened is, and this is why one reason I started Benzinga because I wanted to democratize um, information around investing because mm -hmm. I don't want to burn out a whole class of investors. So what, what happened there is Bitcoin, and I had Kathy Wood on last week who thinks Bitcoin will eventually hit a million dollars, you know, per share or whatever a coin. Um, she said you got to own it in like a cold wallet now. But when you hear crypto. It's like a bad word to many yep. because, and then you hear Kathy say, Bitcoin's going to go to a million a share. Where do you stand on that part? Like, in, in, like, can you see why people are bearish on Bitcoin? And then you could, you can obviously see why Kathy's bullish. And I know you're on the more positive side. You've been buying Bitcoin since 2013. So 
can I get a loan? No, but go, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's, it's, it's a great question. I don't defend the industry. And I was talking with somebody else who got into Bitcoin quite earlier than I did, actually. We were debating whether 90% or 99% of the industry even still needs to burn to the ground. There's a lot of crap here. And it is in some ways a repeat of the tech stock bubble of 1999, just so much crap. And yes. it will not succeed and it needs to be flushed, but markets are flushing it. And what's happened is the regulators in the United States threw the baby out with the bathwater. They were not wrong in observing that what built up was a giant circular leverage bubble. And then when it went backwards, it, it crashed very fast. And all that circular leverage, it turned out those yields, those 9% yields were not real. They were coming from leverage on leverage on leverage. And there was just right. turtles all the way down. Right. Yep. Um, but that is not that has nothing to do with the technology. So for those of us who were looking at the technology and saying, wow, this is going to collapse a lot of the intermediaries in the space, how do we deliver better, faster, cheaper, more transparent payment services? It, we do it through this technology, including in U.S. dollars, but also in Bitcoin. And, in, and again, that's where banks like Custodia Bank actually have a big role to play. Somebody's got to bridge the difference. And it does come down to the settlement risk, because in traditional finance, you cannot program a US dollar to settle at 11.39 p.m. on a Saturday night, unless you're doing it through a stablecoin type platform. And those have suffered, as you point out, from obvious flaws. Uh, so putting this inside the banking system has always made sense to me, which is why Custodia applied in 2020 to the Fed for a master account to be able to bring this inside the banking system in a safe and sound way. Uh, but you saw how the Fed reacted. They threw the, the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, it, what's so fascinating is, the, is insiders have come forward to us. We got caught up with the whole crypto crackdown post FTX. Insiders was, at the Fed? Insiders. Uh, well, I won't say um, necessarily they're insiders in Washington. Let's put it that way, including okay. in the Biden White House, um, have let us know that there was this big coordinated crackdown. And in retrospect, it's obvious. But at the time, there were multiple applicants for bank charters or um, or accounts like our master account application at the Fed that were simultaneously asked to withdraw. Usually the applications are supposed to stand on their own. That's what the law says. They're supposed to stand on their own. But we have it in writing that we were simultaneously asked to withdraw at the same time. That tells you this was political and it was all coordinated. Um, and, and unfortunately, um, back then, what I gather is that they thought they could make it go to zero because they saw that this leverage spiral was going to collapse. It did collapse. I'm glad for that. Uh, maybe it still has more to go. We don't know. I still think there are over leveraged business models out there that that will not survive and should not survive. Yep. Do your counterparty credit risk analysis, folks. But they didn't push it to zero. And I knew they wouldn't be able to push it to zero. So it's fascinating because we were at the tip of the spear of that crackdown in January. And back then, the Fed left zero crack in the in the door, so to speak. But then by August, they'd already opened up a crack in the door again by starting the Novel Activities Supervision Program. So I think that's the first acknowledgement by the Fed after this crackdown completely failed to take to drive the whole thing to zero. Uh, it's the first acknowledgement that uh, they need this is going to be around and they need they need help. They acknowledge they need help. 
and uh, they, they are going to be going outside to the technology industry, to fintechs, to banks, and to academics to get help on these novel activities so that they can understand them better. And instead of throwing the baby out with the bathwater and ending up in a lawsuit um, that, that uh, now has turned into a couple of different lawsuits against them, right. uh, the, the, it, it maybe would have been better to sit down and roll up sleeves and work with the players who actually are trying to do this right. Yeah, and like we're with Caitlin Long, CEO of Custodia Bank, and one of the things that our Future of Digital Assets event will be discussing is this exact thing, the 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 utility you get. So, like, people sometimes don't understand the utility. So back in the day when I was in the internet world, I um, started an online textbook store in back in 1998 and was one of the first places where you could buy textbooks instead of just at the bookstore, the Monopoly bookstore. Yep. And I had to wire money over to someone. I don't know, about a year ago, it was on the weekend, and he and I we used um, US stable coin to do it. Mm-hmm. I hit a button. I verified his identity. The money was right there in his crypto or ledger, whatever you want to call it, however it goes in his wallet. Mm-hmm. It was there. Yep. It was so seamless. When yes. I want to, if I want to wire you, Caitlin, right now, twenty five thousand dollars, I would go to my bank, and it's not seamless at all. Correct. So that's, and you can't program that, it. it, right? So, and then you can't track, like see the tracking of all your things. So when you, when you said you can't program it, what do you mean by that though? I just want to make sure I understand. Programmable money is money that can be programmed to time or to place uh, and doesn't involve human intervention. So the idea of sending it at 1139 PM on a Saturday night, now fed now exists but you still have to go through your bank and they don't have the ability to offer programmability. Uh, but to your point with a stable coin, you can, you can set that up so that you didn't have to stay up if you needed to send it at 1139 PM on a Saturday night, uh, that it would just go automatically. You can automate a lot of functions. That, it's just that a takes better a, system. It's a far better system. And uh, there, there, there is some question whether part of the desire to slow down the stable coin issuers, including the proposal that Custodia made to the Fed back in 2020, uh, to put this inside of a non-lending bank uh, was because of Fed now, because there was some concern inside the Fed. I don't have evidence for that, but yep. I, I acknowledge that there is a logic to the question, is the Fed, they spent so many years building Fed now, it's better than Fedwire and it's running 24-7, 365, but it's so narrowly available and it's not programmable yet. Uh, and maybe they just wanted to slow down the private sector versions of of it. Uh, who knows if that's really the case. But your point is well taken. People, especially in the younger generations, expect this kind of facility in moving money. And uh, they don't, in many cases, they've never set foot in a bank branch. And 100%. Lordy, if they ever had to deal with moving money overseas, going through SWIFT and getting caught in the SWIFT black hole, um, that's, a, that, 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 that's, a, that's a whole other story, right? And, and this technology just cuts right through it. Uh, and there's no question that it's here to stay. The big fight, honestly, is, is not going to be whether this technology succeeds because it, people are voting with their feet. It already is succeeding. The, the real question is, Who's going to be the back end of it? Is it the Fed itself through a central bank digital currency? Or are they going to enable banks like Custodia applied to do to, to issue, issue it? And 
Uh, or is it going to be non-banks like we have today, like Circle here in the U.S. or PayPal or a trust company, Paxos, in New York? Um, uh, and the, the, next, the next question then becomes, all right, if these things are fast settling and they move at the speed of light and the transaction pretty much is the settlement, it settles within the span of a few minutes uh, after the transaction with irreversibility, all right, that doesn't fit well from a risk management perspective with the legacy financial system. Because the legacy financial system, still the vast majority of the quantity of banks settle their books and records once a day. So when you have something that settles within minutes and the bookkeeping capability of the bank is once a day, you can quickly see how that can get out of whack and a bank could end up with a bank run without even knowing it until they go and close their books at night, right? And so I understand why the FDIC in particular is reticent to introduce this risk into the core of the banking system. So the real fight then becomes, all right, if it is a bank, then the Fed's gonna have to play ball with non-lending banks because you cannot have a demand deposit where literally 100% of the deposits of the institution could disappear in the span of minutes. You cannot have a demand deposit funding a 30-year loan, mortgage loan, for example. You gotta separate it out and 100% collateralize it with a capital cushion for loss absorption, which is exactly what Custodia proposed. You're like an encyclopedia on all this stuff. I mean, no wonder we reached out to you when we're discussing the Benzinga uh, Future of Digital Assets Conference. Like, you're you're encyclopedia. So for our last few questions, we're going to do like a little, uh, you know, quick, quick response, quick, like little fire hour, I guess, fire minute. Okay, here we go. Sounds good. Uh, um, If you were in charge of regulation in the crypto space, what would you do? What Wyoming did. It set it up as a special purpose standalone, 100% reserve with capital for loss absorption bank. Okay. Next one. What are some of the myths with cryptocurrency that you see today? Uh, the, the myth is that it's or all misconceptions a scam. or misconceptions. Miscon- yeah. yeah. Misconception is that it's all a scam. It's not. There's real technology behind it. Uh, and we just have to cut through. We've just seen, you know, some of the worst of the outright criminals and fraudsters. Many of us in the industry have actually been working with law enforcement to try to clean up the industry and are as appalled as regular folks. Does it remind you of the internet back in the late 90s? Very much, except this is global and it's even worse because it involves money. The internet back in the late 90s involved information. This involves the transfer of value it's it's money, small M money. And so it has attracted even more grifters and, and criminals than the internet itself did. What are the potential benefits of bit, like global decentralized money system? And like, how does Bitcoin fit into the vision? That might not be a fast one, but I'll tr- try. Uh, well, no, better, faster, cheaper, and more transparent payments, more trackable payments. This solves a lot of problems for a lot of people. Uh, the people, the only people who don't want it are the banks that benefit from slow payments and that don't have the technology system to keep up with the times. Right. Uh, and, and, and I would also add from a global money perspective, I like the, the concept, check your financial privilege. Those of us in the developed world haven't had to live through hyperinflation. And yet um, 40% of the world has been through it in the last couple of decades. It's a lot of people who have who really do value the the finite nature of Bitcoin and the fact that it does 
it is not corruptible from a monetary policy perspective. I, and I love even that. though it's volatile, it'll hold its value better. The question is better relative to what? Relative to a hyperinflating currency? You bet. But what, what Warren Buffett's take is that I'd rather have apartment buildings because I can't do anything with Bitcoin. What would you say to that? Uh, he's not living in the, in, the, in the information era at which transactions settle at the speed of light and the money leg of the transaction until the, recently was settling at the speed of matter to quote, to, to, to quote Lynn Alden. This is the fundamental problem that has, that has permeated the structure of especially the developed world's financial services system. We've got a lot of what, what the tech folks would call tech debt. I would just call it regulatory legacy. All these layers of intermediaries were there to solve the fundamental problem that once the telecommunications era hit, you could move transaction information at the speed of light, but you couldn't move the money at the speed of light. And so what did we do? We abstracted away those risks by creating these layers of intermediaries who batched all of their transactions and net settled against each other up the chain. But that meant that everybody had to settle in sequence, which is why... It takes so long and even still takes long to move money internationally. Uh, and it's still in this day and age taking two days to settle a stock trade. That's not because of the technology limitations. It's because of the, the, the legacy of all these layers of intermediaries who have to still settle in sequence. Thank goodness they're not settling only once a day anymore. So it's not overnight processing like it, like it was as recently for large institutions as 10, 15 years ago. And again, a lot of small banks are still settling only once a day. Uh, but, but for the most part, we've sped up settlement cycles to being at least intraday in, in most financial institutions. Uh, but the, the, we're, the, the fundamental challenge, and this is, this is your, your reader base, for the fintechs, fintechs built Ferrari front ends, they're still settling transactions on horse and buggy back ends. And it's that middleware, which is exactly where Custodia is, to try to, to bridge the gap between those two without creating too much settlement timing mismatch. That's our job is to make sure that, that we don't go down, which is why we're a non-lending bank that's sitting 100% in customer cash for our bank deposits. So is that is the last question? Is that where you see Custodia playing the evolving role in the crypto space? Because that's like where do you see your long term vision of Custodia? Yeah, well, our vision is we. I came from the Morgan Stanley Wall Street world, uh, yep. fiduciary world. I understand the stench that has attached to a lot of the legacy crypto players. We're coming out as someone clean that has met bank regulations. And our desires to keep our nose clean, to be the white shoe custodian and the bank that services this industry that has bank level risk management, bank level information security, bank level compliance. Uh, and, and therefore, I think we will appeal to the huge swath of the asset management industry that has not yet touched Bitcoin. We're here to service them. And when they start looking around for who hasn't stepped in it. I sure hope that they find Custodia. And that's your job to get in front of them. Okay, so that's hopefully this interview spreads the word of Custodia, hopefully in our future of digital assets. But we appreciate you, Caitlin Long, for coming on, uh, proving. I want to get into what you do at the University of Wyoming, female engineers. You guys should look up what she's doing. You get your 
that you're a beacon of success, but you're a beacon of like doing the right thing and trying to build an industry where there was a lot of stench in it. So thank you again for coming on, Caleb Monk. Thank you. Much appreciated. Thank you.